The views and opinions expressed on Wrestling Wind Down are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, organization, employer, or company. What's up, guys? It's Lo, and you are tuned in to Wrestling Wind Down, a female-founded and hosted podcast dedicated to professional wrestling and our favorite adult beverage. On the next handful of episodes, we will be focusing on the unsung heroes in the field of professional wrestling, including ring gear designers, theme song creators, and many more. On this episode, I am joined by Kate Nix, a seasoned ring gear creator who has been in the business for about eight years now. We will be chatting about what it's like to be a female ring gear creator in a male-dominated sport such as professional wrestling, the process of creating gear, how many wrestlers both her and her husband have costumed over the years, and the platform both her and her husband have created to communicate and learn with fellow ring gear creators and designers. So grab your glass of wine. We're going in for the three count. As I mentioned in my intro, I have a ring gear designer here. A little bit of backstory on this. I sent out a tweet about a month, two months ago, asking you all, who is one of the best gear makers that you know of? And the name Kate Nix continually came up in my mentions, and I am so honored to have her here today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. You are a seasoned gear maker in the wrestling community. Can you take me back to when your passion for creating began? Um... I have always been making things since I was very small. I was raised creative. Like my parents were both creative people. My mom was a seamstress and a costume maker and just a homemaker, very domestic in general. And my dad would build things and was a musician. So I grew up in a house where everybody made things. So it was just perfectly natural for me to just be creative. It was really sort of my default setting for as long as I can remember. Were you a wrestling fan when you first got into creating gear or was it something that just came about with the clientele that you brought in? Well, I am married to former professional wrestler Ophidian the Cobra. He's the other half of our company closet champion mm-hmm. and um, he needed wrestling gear. It, he was he was doing an important show. His gear was supposed to change to show a change in character. And either he forgot to order it or the gear maker backed out all of a sudden. Uh, And mm -hmm. it was on me suddenly to make the thing. I had been sewing my whole life, but I had never really worked with the type of materials that wrestling gear is made out of. I never worked Mm -hmm. with foam or vinyl or any of that stuff before. And it was awful. And I hated it so much. And I regretted every second that I did it. (laughs) And I was said, I would never do it ever again. And um, then someone else needed some gear and then someone else needed some gear and then someone else needed some gear. And now it's one of my many creative pursuits that I have as a job. How long have you been creating gear now? That first set was made in probably late 2013 or mid 2013. Mm -hmm. So eight years now. And the company itself has existed. Closet Champion has been around officially since the end of 2014. So almost seven years. Can you tell me a little bit about Closet Champions? What made you and your husband decide to come together and create this company? Well, it started out as just me. It was originally just, I was, I wanted a name that wasn't myself for when I was making gear so that Mm -hmm. I could sort of be in that space with a little bit more anonymity. I think in part, it was because I am a lady and having something that was genderless as a front made it a little bit easier to navigate 
clientele. So, and I also wanted a name that reflected that we were wrestling gear makers and things like that. So I decided to call it closet champion. Um, and it wasn't for two years that my husband are, um, almost two years, maybe. Yeah, no, it was two years. It wasn't for two years that my husband, uh, was a part of the business. He was just sort of the spokes model and he would get us clients and help sort of, uh, interface with people, but he didn't start making gear until 2016 when he wanted to pursue wrestling full time. And the retail job that he was working at the time was not suiting his taste. So he was like, I'm going to quit my job and you're going to teach me how to sew. And I said, (laughs) am I now? (laughs) Um, but he managed to glean enough information from what I taught him to start on his own creative path. And now he's a very accomplished maker in his own right. You mentioned that when you created your brand, you want it to be genderless. Have along the way, since, you know, your business has been going on for a couple years now, have you started to make it known that, you know, you are a female behind this brand? Have you noticed that anyone has had negative feedback with that? I just kind of want to get your insight on why you made the brand genderless because I've heard people before have that same mindset. They don't want to attach a male or female to a brand. They keep it genderless. Well, I mean, honestly, it's not even so so much to be genderless, but as to be the default societal gender of male. Mm-hmm. Because by removing the feminine qualities, you make it more logistically like accessible to male people, which is the majority of our clientele is dudes. Mm -hmm. And there would be situations where if someone was being antagonistic to me in an email, I would start signing as my husband so that I could use his clout as a man and as a performer to sort of fight back against someone who's trying to say certain things or uh, treat me a certain way. And having that has definitely been helpful because if I was on my own in my very feminine presenting self and body, I don't think it would be as successful. I don't think it would be, I don't think it would work because you have to really believe that women are people in order to do business with them and the interpersonal way that you do with the gear maker, you have to respect them and trust their opinion and understand that they're a creative in their own right and have their own capabilities and have their own knowledge, bring their own things to the table. And a lot of men can't understand that. So it's helpful to have a less feminine facade to sort of put over top of things. And the second that we started talking about my husband as part of the business, even though technically I am the person who runs the business and he works for me, Mm -hmm. um, he is perceived as the sole owner the majority of the time. Even if I'm the one who's on the website, even if I'm the one that's talked about in podcasts or whatever, like because he's there, he's perceived as the forefront because he's the performer and because he's a dude. So yeah, it's just, uh, I think, a necessary evil with this state that wrestling is currently in. We're moving away from that being the norm, but I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a long time until it's an actual truth of just like day-to-day life. No, and I definitely agree with you. You know, I've seen other gear makers that are women that have had, you know, certain situations happen to them because they are women. And it's so upsetting as a female podcaster to see this stuff happen because we want the best for women and you're killing it. And the fact that people can't come to you with respect when they're asking you to create products for them that they're going to use is, it's upsetting. Even just sitting here meeting you for the first time, hearing it, it makes me upset that you have to go through that. It's unfortunate because 
you're talented. You know, it shouldn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You're bringing so much to the table. People should treat you with respect regardless. I think that's why I also pursue pursue clients of marginalized genders over male clients in general too, because- Mm -hmm they will often come to the brand knowing that it's me and being like, I want this from you because I've seen you clothe bodies that look like mine in a way that is flattering and under, I understand. And that to me is, I think like the most important work for a while. I actually offered women a 20% or 22% discount based on the wage gap. I, I try to pursue clients that are queer or very openly feminist and, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of who align with the values that I do. And I tend to work best with clients that are like that because we sort of see each other as equals and can collaborate really on what it means for them to be clothed in a costume that represents who they are without just putting their name on it and their logo. What have been some of your favorite pieces to create? Well, I really love the set that we just made for Edith Surreal, that mask and set that we made her that's sort of like this Baroque sexy goth thing that I really loved. Um, I got to sort of flex my uh, typography skills a little bit more with drawing the flourishes for that because I design all the patterns and stuff in house. Mm -hmm. Um, I love making gear for Kimberly on impact. She lets us do pretty much whatever we want. She basically just gives us money and is like, I want princess in these colors. Or she's like, make me Elsa. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I made her Elsa or she's like, make me a princess. And I'm like, I have pink stuff. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Um, I like clients like that who understand that, like, if you give me the right information and tell me to use my skills to communicate, I think a lot of the time I end up with something that looks better for them rather than someone who comes to me with a design fully formed in hand. Cause I, we do those clients as well as people who show up to us with pre-made designs who are like, I want this exact thing. And then we do our best to accommodate that design with the respect to physics and gravity. But I really love when I get to design something from, from the ground up, specifically if I could design it using materials I already have, because it means that I can sort of see the full picture of the collage before I dive into what the silhouette's supposed to look like. And I think that that's sort of when I make my best work is when I'm working within the confines of what I've already got and a time limit or things like that. It's when I have those boundaries that I find that I'm the most creative. How many wrestlers so far would you say that you've created ring gear for? Do you have a count or has there been too many to count? Well, I read that in the email that you sent me and I talked to my husband and I was like, how many people do you think we've costumed? So this depends on how you view this question. Do you mean how many people have we made top to bottom sets for, or how many people, how many individual people we've made pieces for? How about both? I would say we've made over a hundred full sets of gear top to bottom. I would say we have somewhere between somewhere around 200 clients, like individual people. And how many clients would you say that you work on at once? Well, right now things are a little different because we have stepped back from making product so much as more becoming a safe haven for other makers. We run a discord and a Patreon for people who want to pursue wrestling gear making and um, other sort of fringe making styles. And we run a community so we can all talk about what we're making and how to do it and talk about reference materials and figuring sources for different types of fabrics and things like that. Um, So our focus has really been there. Right now we're working on maybe like one or two sets at a time, maybe three sets at a time. But back in the like hardcore Chikara days, back in like 2015, 2016, I'd be working on seven or eight clients. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit more about the discord that you just mentioned? What inspired you to start a platform 
to help others in the wrestling gear making community and designers in general? Well, as I told you, like when I first started making gear, there was no information about it. I couldn't find anything. I was on my own trying to figure out how to make stuff to the best of my ability. I couldn't, they, you couldn't just search up a YouTube video that was like how to make Lucha mask um, right. back in 2013. I was figuring it out all on my own sort of backwards from what I could find of pieces that I could take apart and then put back together again and things like that. And it was really hard to do. And I hated it. And the struggle was so overwhelming that it made me not like the process, but making wrestling gear is actually really cool because you get to make something for someone that is going to like fully perform and go to the limits of their body in that thing. And if you can make something that hot, that looks good and is durable enough to withstand that level of athleticism, it's really rewarding at the end of the day. Like if you can make something that fits and fits the character and stays on right and just like looks like that person is supposed to while they're doing what they're doing, that's the ideal sort of state for a costumer. And it's really, it's a rewarding thing to do. And also there's literally an unfathomable amount of independent wrestlers and people who are on television who need an unfathomable amount of gear because of how quickly they go through this stuff. So spreading the knowledge is of no detriment to us because we can't take in the amount of business that is being presented to us. I don't think any year maker could. So having a place for us all to talk to each other where we can kind of complain about the weird aspects of this job or troubleshoot things together, it's been just as beneficial for the people who contribute to our Patreon as it has been for us because some of the people there know things that we don't and being able to collaborate in that way, even just shooting message on a forum has, I think is beneficial to all of us as a community and it makes the gear look better. It makes everybody's work better, which means the clients look better. And I don't think there's anything that could really go wrong with that. We are taking a quick break from this episode to tell you about the Pro Unapologetics first ever wrestling show, Black Girl Magic, which is set to happen Saturday, June 26th in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. This event features for the first time ever, Trish Adora going up against the living legend Jazz in the main event. The show will also feature many of wrestling's talented women of color from around the United States. For more information on how to buy your tickets and sponsorships, go to at ProUnapologetic on Twitter. That's at P-R-O-U-N-A-P-O-L-O-G-E-T-I-C. Have you noticed an influx of gear makers since quarantine started or has there been a decrease in the amount of gear makers? I know it's been a rough period the last year with COVID and shows not going on and now things are starting to pick back up. Have you noticed within your community that there's more people coming in to create gear or is there less people now? I feel like that the wrestling industry has such a high turnover rate that it, it's impossible to tell whether or not it's from the pandemic. Mm. I've watched gear makers show up and fizzle out in months. Like it happens because it's a hard job and you want to please everybody. And when you say yes to everyone, you burn yourself out and you, pardon my French, you end up a lot of people over and then someone tweets about it and then your career is ruined. And there's like things like that, that happen. And wrestling is so high drama. There's so much toxicity within the community and people want to tear each other down and get a leg up on it because of the way that the industry was built by the good old boys. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily know if the pandemic has affected the influx of gear makers or not. I know that I've definitely seen more people interested in taking the time to make their own clothes and things in general, but I don't know that it's necessarily 
been wrestling specific. You mentioned too just now that social media has had an impact on gear makers. Can you speak a little bit more about that in terms of has Twitter and the quickness of it, has it discouraged people from getting into gear making? Has it pushed people away just because they're worried about the bad rep that they could get if something were to go wrong? I think in a lot of our creative fields, we do worry about that. You know, what if someone doesn't like this? Or what if something goes wrong? People are so quick to not send a message or an email, but get on Twitter. Yeah, I think that, um, I don't know that if it's affected the industry as a whole. I know that a lot of us who are in the community that we manage, like in our closet champion maker community. I know a lot of us are self-conscious about the work being good enough or about it Mm -hmm. fitting right or our own knowledge because it's knowledge that we developed on our own. You know, it's not something that we went to, we didn't go to gear maker school and end up with a gear maker diploma. We just through blood, sweat and tears figured out how to make this thing. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time it will probably work, but we do end up really self-conscious. And I think there are times when people do end up stepping away because especially of how volatile the scene can get. Um, I think that's true of any sort of niche community though. You see it in candle making and knitting as much as you do in in wrestling or anything else. Um, Sometimes the platforms people can have access to end up being really positive or really negative for them, which is why I mentioned before we, before we started recording that I'm trying to back away from social media myself, because I realized that I don't necessarily uh, know why I'm interacting there sometimes. And I need to figure out why I'm there before, why I'm there and what I want to say before I say it. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily do that. It's just sort of going with the flow of Twitter and everybody's saying and talk on each other and whatever. I think that, uh, wrestling is unique in that it's very carny. Like it's very back alley deal, pretty much every aspect, even at the highest form, even Vince McMahon has independent contractors. Nobody's technically an employee, you know, it's all very like under the table Mm -hmm. and due to the under the table nature, it means that there is a very low access point. If you want to be a gear maker, nothing's stopping you. You right now, you have a sewing machine. You say you make wrestling gear. You can make a Twitter profile. You're a gear maker. Nobody's stopping you. Um, But I think it's it's rare that you see people that stick around longer than a year, longer than two years, longer than three years, because it's that return clientele. It's that making continuously good product over a long period of time. That's rarer and rarer that I've seen. How long does it take you to make a typical piece of ring gear? Let's say like men's tights or women's tights and top set. Does it just depend on the design or what the client wants? Um, yeah, absolutely. It totally depends on the design. It depends on what the client wants. Um, one of the things people don't necessarily realize about our specific style of wrestling gear making is that it's every design you see, every like change of color or texture on the gear is a different piece of fabric that we have hand cut out, glued down and sewn on with a sewing machine. So it's all sort of like, um, it's not embroidered because I mean, it's kind of an embroidery sort of like applique patchwork combination. Um, so it's these layers and layers of fabric that have to get sewn together before you can even sew it together to make a garment. This is like when it's just flat, you have to put all the designs on it first before you put it together. So it depends on what, how intricate that is, how many layers of fabric, how many colors, how many letters there are, how detailed it is, all those things. And sometimes it can take a day. Sometimes it can take six days. Sometimes your fabric is delayed because of USPS 
and it takes a month. So it just depends on the thing and how many times I've made it before and how intricate it is. But a lot of times we're working on more than one project at once. So like while something's gluing, I can work on some part of the process or some part of something else. So the the time is used economically. That's really interesting. Have you ever thought of like doing a YouTube channel showing, you know, making a gear from start to finish? Because it just sounds so interesting when you bring it up. You know, you have to cut all these different pieces out and to create this piece that someone's going to wear in the ring, whether it's not televised or it is televised, it still means something to them. Have you ever thought about maybe going the YouTube route and showing people how you create? I actually have a YouTube channel that does that. Oh, I did not know this. <laughs> yes. Um, if you go to youtube.com slash closet champion, my husband and I run a YouTube channel where we talk about all the different ways to make Lucha masks oh, as well awesome. as going through uh, wrestling gear production and things like that. And that's how we drive people to our Discord and our Patreon to get them involved in our community. So we show them how to make something. And we basically say, if you have more questions, come hang out in the clubhouse. There we go. So you are a woman working in the male-dominated field, which I commend. What advice would you give to other women looking to step into the wrestling world, whether it be as a ring gear designer, a makeup artist, or even a wrestler? The truth of the matter is, like, this is the real honest to God, like, no holds barred truth. It's like, the industry is built, every industry is built like this, but wrestling specific is built built to chew you up and spit you out and waste you while they can on every level from the legends of the legends they're being used by Vince McMahon until they die and then he doesn't pay for their funeral because it's their own fault for not saving or whatever the crap who like it's that sort of industry so if you're not ready to bust your ass work super hard kill yourself trying, overdo it, spend a bunch of money, blood, sweat, and tears, waste a bunch of time, work for nothing. If you're not willing to do that, you're probably not going to get very far. And it it sucks. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say work for less than you're worth. I don't want to say pay your dues because it shouldn't be that way. It's stupid. And I don't like it. But the truth of the matter is that If you don't do those things, you will not be recognized because the way the boys club of wrestling works is that you pay your dues. You're on ring crew. You work for free, $20 in a handshake. If you're lucky, maybe just a hot dog. You have to go above and beyond the call of duty for a really long time before you're going to get recognized and before you're going to get paid what you're worth. So if you want to be a part of wrestling, think long and hard about why and who and what, because year a year down the line when you're exhausted and it's two in the morning and you're driving eight hours or whatever or you're staying up sewing for eight hours or recording for however many hours like you need to be ready for what it is actually going to take wrestling is built to chew you up and spit you out and if you're not prepared to sort of go too far then it's probably not going to be what you want it to be but if you just want to be there to chill and have fun there's absolutely a sort of middle ground that you can reach by just being available at the right time so be available and be realistic about what it is you're looking for and what it's going to take to get there This has been such an informative interview. I'm so glad that I could have you here on Wrestling Wind Down to talk about your gear making and the history behind it, as well as hear about what you're doing to help those that are just getting into the business, as well as all of the other projects that you have going on. Thank you so much, Kate. Where can the people find you on social media? Uh, Right now, you can find me 
on Twitter at I am Kate Nix and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Kate Nix, as well as on our Patreon at patreon.com slash closet champion, which is where you get access to our discord and all those things. I'm stepping away from social media a little bit right now. So there's going to be a couple months where I'm not super on the things, but when I come back, it's going to be hopefully worth waiting for. So keep an eye out and Google my name in two months. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wrestling Wind Down. You can find all of our other episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at WWDCAST. Let us know what you thought about the episode. What was your favorite part? Until next time, enjoy your wine, and of course, enjoy your wrestling. Cheers! Cheers.